Welcome to Dinger Derby, the only podcast completely devoted to Texas Tech baseball. Join your host, Keith Patrick, every week for team news, guests, ranking updates, and game reports from opening weekend all the way through Omaha. We'll be hitting taters with the Red Raiders all season long. This is Dinger Derby. Welcome into the Dinger Derby podcast, the only podcast devoted 100% to Texas Tech Red Raider baseball. We are just days away, folks, from opening day at Dan Law Field at Rip Griffin Park. Huge, huge time for baseball fans. We've been out at scrimmages. I'm joined by Mike Gustafson and George Watson to tell you kind of what we've seen, what we think we might see opening weekend with this team and who's going to be where. We're just giving you some of our impressions, what we've seen out of some pitching staff so far, which is, it's tough. You're in inner squads and you never know exactly what's shaking out and how, but thanks for being here, fellas. It's a good time to be a baseball fan. Well, thanks for having us back. I guess that's proof we did something right the hey, first time. You know? Hey, I mean, you're setting download records, so... <laughs> so well, got a, somebody's got a big following got a high bar to set right yeah. that's right so i did want to mention one thing i didn't even tell you this second ago while we were sitting here talking about what we were going to do in the offseason big news for red raider baseball we lost the namesake of the ballpark you lost dan law you know sad deal of course his family extremely involved continues to be around lubbock and around tech baseball but i'd love a little reaction for that from you guys and not somebody that I personally knew but I know that that you probably did Gus and would love to hear a little bit about him yeah you bet I I can go back to uh, Mr. Law was of course a lot of Lubbockites a lot older than me have you know deep connections to uh, Mr. Law of course some of that runs through his daughter Jan and then David Thetford Mm -hmm. who's a local radio uh, personality but um, and local businessman but when I was playing at Tech in the late 80s, uh, 1988, we got lights, you know, and that, that was a big step. It was a big deal. T. Jones, and he was had hired Coach Hayes and brought him over from Lubbock Christian, and we were getting lights, and it was just, it seems like baby steps, but at the time, it was a really big deal because uh, there were still probably half the Southwest Conference that didn't have lights. I wow. could probably go through the list and name them, but uh, we, we went from the list from th- those that didn't have to those that have, and anyway... Mr. Law was a big part of getting getting those lights installed, and that was when his name went on the field. Before that, I played all of my games at the yeah. Tech Diamond. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's what it was called. Wow. So that's how far back you go. Yeah, <laughs> no, there's no doubt about that. And uh, the the field, as it is oriented today, was um, built that way for the 1981 season. It used to be that home plate was back, kind of in the right field corner, and right. you were, you're basically hitters were facing off toward Jones Stadium. Um, you know, slightly different orientation, but when they reoriented it and basically began the uh, ballpark orientation that we have it today, and there's still some original, the original center center bleachers up there behind home plate, you can still see some uh, some row numbers and things that Gary Ashby and his wife put down in the early 80s, and uh, <laughs> they can tell you that story, it would be the mid-80s that that Coach Ashby did it, but there's still some original components to that ballpark in the in wow. the seating area behind home plate. Yeah, I mean, as far as Mr. Law goes, you know, I only knew him just for a brief time, not as long as, as Gus, but always knew he was one of those that was going to be right there, you know, for the team, whatever they needed, whether it was in the stands or financially, like, you know, like Gus said, with the lights and, and uh, great, great supporter and, and one of those that every program – has or needs to have to be able to be elevated to right. a certain level and 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 Dan Law certainly was one of those for Texas Tech. 
Awesome. Well, thank you all for that. And certainly a big loss. And I know Dan's grandson, Tanner. And so that's uh, kind of my connection and knowing mm-hmm. them. And, and I sure. know Jan and, and David a little bit as well. And certainly a big loss for tech program. That's unfortunately just how time marches on, but want to make sure that we talk about him and uh, acknowledge that we lost him over the off season. Sure. And you think about over the the recent past, the loss of Cal Segrist, Dan Law, Rip Griffin, like three three people Big that are really ones. instrumental in, in tech baseball history, and uh, they all got to enjoy in some part of this recent success. Right. I know right. Coach Segrist got to be around for at least one of the first trips or two to Omaha, but you know mm-hmm. he got to witness that and see that, and so it was always special for Absolutely. me. That was, that was an important hug for me to have in 2014 when, when the team won that Super Regional. We were making our – after we all got through hugging each other, you know, I had, I had to get to Coach Segrist, I had to get to Coach Ashby, you know, so that, there was a long list. Me yeah. and Gio had to find each other. That was, that was good. <laughs> Those are good men. That's a better off-season <laughs> podcast. Sure. This is what we can talk about in October when we need to fill some time. Yeah, I, I, I love reminiscing about 14. <laughs> no, I think it's such a special year and no doubt. all the things that went down. All right, we're booking that. That's a summer that's podcast. That's right. We summer got it. We got it. Right. Now I have to record in the off-season. <laughs> there Thanks, we go. That's something to shoot for. <laughs> all right, well, let, let's dive right in, and we'll talk a little bit about this weekend. Uh, we'll talk about the rosters in a minute, but, but before that a different kind of opening weekend you're not playing a four-game stand against Maine or anything like that it is a four-game weekend for the Red Raiders but you're playing Houston Baptist and Northern Colorado and then they'll also be playing each other so kind of a round-robin weekend you got an in-state opponent coming in in Houston Baptist and we wanted to talk a little bit about TV. The Big 12 released their conference national TV schedule, and there was a little bit of confusion, I think, online, a little bit of shade thrown from from the national media. You know, the Big 12 has nine games on that list of ESPN, U2, FSN, those kind of games. But there are a ton of other games on the Longhorn Network and then a ton that will still be on Fox Sports Southwest and, and things like that. So ESPN Plus as well, even this year. So there's lots of – wrinkles in that so texas tech is not officially on big 12 now big 12 now thank you they will be next year so you still have third tier rights with fox sports southwest and others but then tech has some away games that'll be on there but first storyline of that texas tech out of the nine games the big 12 has on national television so fox sports net espn u or two fcs and fox sports one tech is in five of those nine games and so your friday series opener at Oklahoma State on April 3rd, ESPNU. The next weekend, hosting Oklahoma on Friday, ESPNU. And then you jump into May 2nd, the Texas series. You've got Saturday and Sunday televised nationally. And then on May 16th, Tech at TCU will again be on ESPNU. So Tech getting a bulk of those, certainly still kind of the class of the conference from that side. But then George did some digging too and saw several other games Tech will be televised that when you're on the road that you may not be seeing on this list. Yeah, the thing about the Big 12 Now deal is that it's essentially kind of right now as far as tier rights and everything, it's kind of the same as where Tech is on Fox Sports Southwest. Seven of the ten teams, or I guess six of the nine, since nine only play baseball, are already going to be on the ESPN+. Plus. So three teams, including Texas Tech, will join it next year. So right now, Texas Tech's you know third tier rights are going to be on the Fox Southwest. They'll move to the ESPN Plus next year. So don't throw away those ESPN Plus subscriptions right. just yet. The thing is, the teams that are already on there are going to have all most all of their games on ESPN Plus. So you'll get the 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 last two games against Oklahoma State 
all three games against Baylor, all three games against uh, Kansas, all those oh, road wow. games. Those are seven. Those are eight road games right there that you'll still be able to watch on the ESPN Plus. So, so hold on to that subscription. I mean, that's why I got it to begin with before Tech even came out with any right. kind of schedule. I said, hey, baseball is going to be on ESPN Plus. I got to get. Th- I got it for thirty for thirty. And then all of a sudden yeah. realize, hey, there's even more content and all the college football 150 stuff was really cool that they did. But also to tie into that too, remember we talked about the last time the three of us were together, the episode in early January, that this is a front loaded schedule as far as home and away. So Red Raiders home a bunch in March and, and April and then they're gone. And so all those road series, you know, it kind of works out well. If you want to watch baseball, then you have opportunities to watch some road baseball all through that kind of backloaded road schedule that the Red Raiders have. Yep, three of the last four series, three of the last four Big 12 series on the road this year. We enjoyed the three of the last four being at home last year, and it flips this year. Well, and and Gus, so also to clarify for folks, so there's another wrinkle in there, and it's Texas Tech TV, and I know most of you are familiar with that, and I think it's a great investment to make in the athletic department. You get content you wouldn't otherwise get and access to some games that you may not otherwise see, but when you're on a third-tier right game, so a Fox Sports Southwest People may not understand that, Gus, you and Geo do Texas Tech TV games. That's the televised side of those broadcasts. But when you go third tier, it's the exact same thing. It's Texas Tech crews. It's you guys on Fox Sports Southwest. And that's the same thing we'll be getting on ESPN Plus. Is that right? Yep, I believe so. They were probably over over my skis a little too much. That's my understanding. Of course, with the ESPN Plus and all, we'd be talking about this time next year. Yeah, next year. What I will say is we're talking about ESPN Plus is this time next year. I do believe that that is next school year. So technically in August. Gotcha. You know, for for volleyball and football and all those fall sports will start this coming, you know, in a few months. But uh, as far as baseball is concerned, it'll be spring 2021. But yeah, the the Texas Tech TV sometimes – Geo and I are slated to actually broadcast the stream, you know, in the TV booth, just like you're saying, what what you're really describing is a, a product very similar to what we televise. There are a few games on that schedule right now in which the streamed home games will be using or the radio feed. Oh, okay. And, that, and that'll happen sometimes when there's conflicts with, uh, home basketball, like other basketball game, you know, tech. And so there's some conflicts and those kind of things early, but gotcha. uh, for folks who are out of town, you know, someone in Dallas, Fort Worth, Houston, whatever, the ability to get on the Texas tech TV and see the home games. It's, it's available just about every, every home game in love. Absolutely. It's great. It's, it's like 10 bucks a month. I mean, right. it's, it's totally worth it through base. And you can look at that schedule and it, it's not up on the Texas tech website yet as far as the schedule but they'll attach it onto all of those games where it's going to be televised and you start looking you you get a couple series a month on texas tech tv or midweeks especially on texas tech tv and all of a sudden 10 bucks a month for five or more games of baseball is not a bad deal and i do want to give you one word of caution when we talk about these road series everybody out there before you get on those facebook fan pages and start freaking out because the announcers like oklahoma state too much or they like whoever remember that is the geo and gus of Oklahoma State or Kansas, Kansas or Baylor or whoever. So cut him a little slack as far as that's that's hometown broadcasting that's being thrust up on the internet. But there's a benefit to the streaming deal, too, uh, that we were talking about. Rain delays all of a sudden yeah. not hurting yeah. you nearly as right. much. And, and conflicts. You don't have to do the deal where this, this game will be on at 1 and this game will be on at 3 or whatever. When it's all streamed, like what it'll be certainly next year with ESPN+, Plus, every game in the league can take place at the same time and all be carried. I'm probably with a lot of people that oh, 49 bucks, something else to spend money on. And as soon as I got on there, I'm, there's going to be baseball that doesn't involve Texas Tech and 
Big 12. Yeah. There'll be a lot of these Big 12 games that don't involve Texas Tech that'll be on there. But I think we're going to get access to – well, I know we're going to get access to a ton – more just college baseball if you enjoy the game and and this time next year uh it, it'll all involve texas tech as well you know what'd be cool is if you had a big 12 now version of like bases loaded or or yeah, yeah. what's the or the what's the college one you know or like the yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah the, know, SEC, the sec network network bases loaded deal. Yeah, yeah or where they're just bouncing around through games you know because that is one thing that was streaming that frustrates me there may be two or three games i want to watch and you're not just previous channel buttoning it you know you're you're kind of stuck switching streams or pulling up extra screens all the time now you may not be the kind of hey there's a college baseball game on i'm going to watch it type guy like me and gus are and you are but you know just doing a quick count not counting the tech and the and the and the tcu just the games that are that are slated to be on just the big 12 now that doesn't count the espn news and and all that stuff there's 105 games just on big 12 now so if you can't get your fill of college baseball, you're not looking hard. <laughs> Who's enough. not on that plays baseball? Is it Tech and West Virginia that aren't on Tech Big 12 T- now? Tech TCU are not on. I think West Virginia is, is – I'm not – I have to go back and look here. So to going back to the national shade, the, the comparison was the SEC had 90 games scheduled for, for television. Um, the ACC had like 75, and, and the Big 12 has nine. Right. But then you loop in streaming services, which I would argue are more flexible. You get a rain delay in a nationally televised game. You may not be back on TV when you come later, uh, or you're thrust into something else. On a stream, the stream is the stream. You pop back in, and, and off you go when, you know, when the time comes. Yeah, I, it's definitely something to get to get used to. And uh, the kind of people who probably listen to podcasts are the kind of people that are making that move toward more of the streaming products and they're keenly aware of the smart tv or you know what they need to do to get a roku or you know whatever it is the the streaming devices and get all that going uh i do feel for some of the older fans and and i've I've actually been coaching a friend of mine up in amarillo like hey you you know you'll you'll enjoy this espn plus thing when it kicks in and you know texas tech tv because right now he kind of he still heads over to the laptop and watches i'm like man you get it on that big screen you're gonna like this yeah it it is it's it's just tv product yeah And, and it's funny now and i think george you were saying earlier about kind of televising or maybe we all were beforehand televising streaming in my head as a and I'm I'm 36 so I'm an old millennial I'm a zennial you know and <laughs> and uh in my head that's the same thing I mean streaming watching TV it makes no difference to me. The only difference in my house is I stream everything, and if I come in and all of a sudden there's a commercial on TV, I know my wife has switched it over to <laughs> right. to the antenna. You know, <laughs> well, I mean, I go I go back to the day when you had three channels, and one right. of them was the the cameras sitting on the weather dials. Yeah, know, oh yeah, no, back, I would. You know, <laughs> but I, I go back before cable BC. It's going to be different for me. I'm still learning the whole streaming and 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 televising and broadcasting and right. all that kind of stuff. So. Well, all that to say, you should be able to get your fill of college baseball. And, you know, Kendall and I touched on this some. The sport is growing. And what there is now is an opportunity. If you can break out of, if you have some preconceived notions about streaming or you don't want to pay the five bucks a month or the 50 bucks a year for ESPN Plus, if you can break out of the mindset a little bit and realize the content you're getting and the access to a sport that I'm assuming you enjoy because you're listening to Dinger Derby, there's a lot of opportunity there to, to see a lot more of it. And that's a good thing. You know, that's a, that's a positive for the Big 12. It's a positive. 
positive for fans. So, and it's not going to go away. I mean, ESPN Plus, Big Twelve now, you're going to have a football game on there at almost bet. You're going. You've already had three basketball games on there. There's going to continue to be more and more content in the future. This, this is this is basically the Big Twelve Network. This is this is their solution to to the SEC network or the ACC network. This is how it is. Yeah, and they made a big deal about that. And that this is this is part of their calculus to say we're not creating an ACC channel to which we have to sell ads or to match the SEC channel or battle about, to get onto people's televisions. Right. Yeah. And and to do all of that, the Big Twelve has said we're we're putting our money, and I'm not talking about Texas Tech specifically, but I mean at the Big Twelve office level has said we're casting our bet with streaming and they're going to jump out of the cable tv game what you're describing the, the yep. and and go straight into the streaming and and uh it'd be interesting to see how it all plays out because there's a lot of conversation about uh television rights and conferences and how much you know how much games these things will be worth over the coming three and four five years out but right. uh, hopefully this is a really good thing for the big 12 and most importantly the member institutions yeah answer your question it looks like the big 12 now right now is pretty much going to be oklahoma state kansas kansas state and baylor you got you know tech and tcu will be on it next year then you know, i think what you know west virginia has their west virginia tv that they offer free to go watch west virginia games oh. you know i discovered there you know ou's got sooner sports they probably got a big fox southwest uh, you know, contract. Well, they have Fox Sports Oklahoma, uh, Fox Sports yeah. Oklahoma yeah. as well to go through, and then of course Texas gets the Longhorn Network. So, that, so it's basically those four right now. But pretty much after this year, everybody will be on an ESPN type platform somewhere. Yes, gotcha. That's exactly a good gotcha. way to say it. Platform. Yeah. Don't order, ask this. Nobody, nobody tried to explain platform. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Another twenty minutes. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so let's talk about what's going to be on the streams, television platforms, <laughs> whatever it is. Let's talk about baseball. So between the three of us, we've seen. Every inter-squad scrimmage over the last few weekends um, had a great time out there just being at the ballpark. It's always a neat time, too, to get to meet some parents. And, you know, Parker Kelly's mom said, oh, I just discovered you yesterday. And I'm like, oh, man, that's <laughs> discovered me. That sounds that sounds that's terrifying. Right. So um, she muddled her way through an episode and said our last episode, which was a two-hour marathon, she said, I'm going to listen to that while I'm at the gym all week. And I'm like, yeah, it's going <laughs> to it's gonna give you plenty of time to listen to. But it's a great time out there, and you're getting to see the personalities of the guys kind of come back out, and you're getting to d- know new players. So we don't have to go with position by position, but we can if we're going to talk about starters a little bit. But why don't we just, just popcorn out a few of the new guys that have stuck out to you and kind of what you've seen out of them a little bit. And I'm, I'm just looking at the roster, and he's number one. So how about Dylan Carter? Yeah, I think Dylan Carter is, uh, first of all, freshman from Argyle, following in the Parker Mashinsky footsteps from Argyle to uh, yeah. to Texas Tech, and hopefully he has that good of a career, yeah. that good of a run here. But uh, it's my understanding that he was recruited by everybody you would expect. And uh, it's also my understanding that uh, you know he was just a shade out of being one of the really top-end, high-end draft picks. And so this is a really good talent. Left-handed hitter, right-handed thrower. Looks like he could – we've seen him play all three spots in the outfield. In other words, he can play center field. And we've also seen him hit at the top of the lineups. Now, these lineups are kind of makeshift for inner squads, but I think he's got a real aptitude for – and Tim talks about this – for separating balls and strikes. Like, he'll draw some walks and do some things. We've seen him hit a couple of big opposite field home runs. I, I think he's a really good talent. 
Yeah, uh, you know, been very impressed with with what we've seen from Dylan Carter so far. Like you said, a guy that can play uh, all three outfield positions, good speed, can re- can really track down balls, and and I think that's one of the things that that you really look for is being able to to kind of cover the gaps. Yep. You, you know, you, you, whether it's the left fielder covering the left center field gap, the center fielder covering both, the right fielder, you know, covering gap to corner. You got to have some speed. You can take with so many hits and get so many outs. You know, with the speed you got out there, and so that's kind of been an mo for team team they've had a lot of speed to be able to track down in the outfield and he looks like another one that'll fit right in he's definitely a kid with a motor and he uh you look at the roster and i know that a lot of you will you know look and kind of see who these new guys are he's like a clean cut youngster right there when you see him on the field he's got he's got a mop of hair and he's got a big just full-on red man beard and so You'll wonder who he is immediately, but he will, I think, be making his name known. Kind of got a little Hunter Hargrove look to it. Yeah, I'll yeah, give you that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> a little Connor Queen there. Yeah, there you yeah. go. <laughs> so, uh, just rolling down the roster then, because he's uh, number two on the list there. Jace Young saw him more often than not at third base or short. Did play some second base early, but saw him all the way around the infield for the most part. And uh, definitely have seen him hit with a lot of power from the left side. What have y'all seen out of Jace Young? Yeah, I think you're right. Right-handed Thor, left-handed hitter. Um, it feels like to me I've seen a couple of, of adjustments in his stance from fall to spring, which really isn't that important, but he's got big power. Um, seen him hit a home run uh, over the monster in center field. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, big, big power. Oppo uh, power, too. Yeah, yeah. Yep. He's driven yep. some balls the other way. It's a little bit the, – the swing's a little bit different than Josh, but there's also some similarities, especially when he's standing over there at third base. They, <laughs> they do favor each other a little bit. But uh, he can also play move to shortstop, and I would say that maybe in the – it's probably not his premium grade A number one position, but you can see him move over to shortstop and play. And can't you just the, – the three of us, can't we just hear Tim Tadlock saying, well, yeah, he can because he's a baseball player. Yeah, you know, yeah just like, right. Um, it's it's not a fair comparison to go as he just like his brother Josh. He's really not. Yeah. There are some similarities, but uh, good player, big power, maybe even bigger power than Josh had, or flash bigger power than Josh had from from his earliest days on campus. Maybe not the refined hitter that Josh is. Right. And so, but uh, we've also seen him play a bunch of second base. We saw a lot more second base down the stretch in the fall and I think in any of those three positions uh he can play and I think he can you know he can probably hit enough to keep himself in the mix all year long well and they even looked at him at first base a little bit uh you know for a couple That's of right. yeah. to, to me Jace is kind of the, the the intriguing one for this team from the standpoint of he's done enough that he's got to be in the lineup somewhere but where do you put him right because I think we can kind of say you know and 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 I'll be the first to admit yeah, I was a little bit wrong. I thought maybe the Dylan Noisy at third base was an experiment in the fall, but he's been back out there every game, you know, for uh, you know for the for the spring scrimmages. So that looks like that's going to happen. I think Gus and I are both uh, set on on liking Cal hey, Conley at shortstop. Hey George, I know you're doing the Lady Raiders, but Dylan Noisy played center field today. Did he put? Of course he did. <laughs> because of course. That's right. Because of course. Didn't, didn't play. Okay, well then I'll shut up but, now and Gus can. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, you're you're exactly no, right. No, you're though. right. You're right. Because and what we're really talking about is, and this is the same thing every spring when we talk about these preseason scrimmages. There's usually three weekends of scrimmages from the time that they can begin team full team workouts to when the season starts. There's usually yeah. three weekends to play with, and so we'll see Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. 
And Dylan has been doing a bunch of third base and a bunch of outfield and, and until today. But, but uh, mostly third base. I mean, mostly, you were yeah, right. No I, was, no I was just taking my opportunity. And, <laughs> and what we saw yesterday, and, and we, we heard you had Jace Young at third base and Parker Kelly at shortstop, and we heard Tad swap them, yeah. and they hung kind of in that today too. And you had Noisy back out there. But you're right, he's been playing third a lot because a lot of the season, and this is not a change in the lineup, folks, but you had uh, Micah Dallas out there playing center field just filling the spot so yeah. you could – you could fill he's two teams there. And, yeah. and so, yeah, yeah. stop running standing for the there, wall. Standing there, wait for the ball to ro- yeah. just quit rolling, pick it up, throw it in. <laughs> yeah, but, but – But, I mean, yes. you know, but, but, I mean, you know, cause like, so like I said, you have you have Dylan at third. You have, I think we're set for Cal Conley at shortstop. We both like him. You got Brian Klein at, at second base. And I think, you know, Cole Stilwell probably is the front runner at first base. So – where do you where do you put Jace? I mean, right. he, he could he could be your your opening day DH at this point. I have a feeling though, you know, as as much as we've seen, as much as we've liked from a lot of these guys, we're going to see four different lineups for four games this weekend, and Jace will be somewhere in the in the uh, field somewhere for at least one, two, yeah, three of those games. He's playing, and and I think that's always the first question: Does he look like his brother? He does have a frame similar to yeah, Josh. He's a couple right. inches shorter. He's Personality wise, a little bit different from Josh, I would say, and uh, and I agree with Gus as far as a little bit less refined in his swing, a little more apt to open it up. Obviously, more apt to hit with power. We've seen multiple grand slams out of him. I mean, there's been a lot of big, big swings of the bat for him, but also really ranges nicely and has had some nice plays in the field. Yeah. Short second, I mean, kind of all the way around the around the board. And uh, I mean, he. I think I tweeted out one yesterday. He absolutely robbed a hit uh, at third base, going yeah. down the line, and made a great throw to. He, He's an interesting guy in that there's so much flexibility with him that you either look at him and go, man, he's the he's the super sub guy, you know, that can play at any of these spots if you if you get depth, you know, and you go, man, we've really got really good depth. Or Jace is just your starting third baseman every day, yeah. and then and then somebody else is the the really good depth. Let's hop down the list. I'm, I wanted to mention about Dylan Carter. I like these uh, these little interest pieces that they throw into the bio. So Dylan Carter's dad, and we met his mom and dad yesterday before they they headed back to to Argyle or Flower Mound, wherever they are. And his dad played football at the Air Force Academy, so that's a cool little connection there. Thanks, and and yeah. some of these guys, there's there's neat there's neat things that run through who they are and, and where they come from. And uh, Jace Young, of course, we know a little bit about him. And so you mentioned Cal Conley, George, so let's talk about him. I mean, I think we'd all agree that he's your he's your starting shortstop at the moment. He's shown a great bat. Now, he's one of your Ohio connections, a guy out of mm-hmm. Mount Carmel, Ohio, and uh, he's a 5'10", 180, and he, he hits a lot bigger than that size, I would argue, and uh, has been – and also out of really born in Florida. I think that's interesting, too, that, that he's moved around. And uh, his dad was a, a pro ball player in the Cubs and Reds organizations and um, has also coached at the pro level as well. Yeah, I think we've liked what we've seen range-wise and fundamental-wise from, from Cal at uh, shortstop. Another uh, right-handed thrower, left-handed hitter, potential leadoff guy, you know, because he's got some good speed, handles the bat well, you know, does a good job getting on base. But given the depth of this team, you know, he could be hitting in the nine hole and be and be the guy that turns the lineup over too. So yeah. I, I think he's got some versatility that we all really like that's going to play well out on the field. Gus, today we saw Vasquez pitching. Mm-hmm. You had a hard hit ball at Conley a nicely hit ball that he made an incredible play on and you turned around and said I think the only thing I didn't like about that whole sequence was the call at first base but (laughs) tell us about what he did because it really was a nice nice job yeah and it was it was Max Marshop yes thank you uh, who who runs is you know really elite speed and he bangs one into the hole and Cal goes to his right in the hole 
and just cuts it loose in a hurry and and it's a bang bang play at first and everything was good about it because it was max finding some contact putting a ball in play and letting the speed work and then cal making a really good play uh the arm and, and we're talking to the right yeah to, jump, into jumping the, the yeah, jumping exactly. turnaround the jeter yeah turnaround. it was exactly. it was yeah. right on target one hop one yeah, hop into no first yeah and and he's uh and Cal's got a good arm, maybe maybe a little bit deceiving, uh, maybe a little bit better than it might appear at first glance. It's it's probably not Michael Michael Davis' arm, but it's it's pretty good. It plays really good. The release is good. We've seen him make a number of throws on the run. You know, a switch hitter. I think w- one thing that you can see out of him is he handles the bat well. He plays. He can really do the push and drag and all those kind of bunt type things. But I mean, it really will be interesting to see where he. He ends up in the lineup because you could see him at the very top. If you got a guy like him down in the nine hole turning that lineup over, that's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's when you got a chance to be a really good yeah. offense. The other little connection for Cal Conley, the other little piece for you folks to grab onto. So he signed with the Hurricanes, the Miami Hurricanes out of high school, and they had a top 10 recruiting class in 2018. He transferred to Tech and sat out, you know, for transfer rules. So he's a redshirt freshman, but this is a guy that was part of a top 10 recruiting class for a Power Five team you know, previously. So right. definitely a, uh, a big tool guy that's coming in and, and is making impacts immediately. Yeah. And he was, he was someone that, you know, uh, J Bob had recruited him out of high school, had been in on him early, uh, had had some contact with him. And so it was probably, probably a good thing. I mean, it's obviously a good thing that he's here now, but it's probably speaks well of J Bob and just that whole recruiting process that yeah. when, then they had a coaching change at Miami, you know, so some things changed in between the time that he signed with them and the time that he got down there and in that he went, you know, I, my second thoughts are I should have gone to Texas Tech in the first place, which, uh, which tells you that, you know, that J Bob probably handled it well and all everybody yeah. here handled it well. And, and there's a personality fit yeah, probably. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, he, he's an interesting guy. And I think this is, uh, something, something I touched on. We talked about this and when we did the December, January, podcast wrapping up the fall but I think I think guys are drawn to him when you see Kyle just around and I don't mean away I don't know what he's like away from the park but just there in the ballpark he's always talking to to guys in the on-deck circle about what the pitchers got you know Mm -hmm. hey what's that change up like it's got a little fade to it cutter slider breaking ball you know he's just he usually usually has a a fairly serious demeanor when somebody's struggling he'll be the guy that goes over there and and kind of pats him on the back and I, I think th- that's not always an easy thing for a new guy right and even though he's a second year player and was redshirt he was here last spring and was around was in the stands even went on road trips as a redshirted player but so so he's not completely new but he's still new in the sense that these, you know, this is his first time to get to be around these guys, and he's immediately got people drawn to him in a way that I think there's some, uh, you know, there's some good qualities to him. He he's also, and and I'll say this just because it can be looked up and learned. I'm not breaking any big information. It may be breaking to uh, those <laughs> of us who you know who just haven't paid close attention. But he's draft eligible this year, so. Uh, because of course, yeah. Because he, yeah. yeah which means that he's going to be Ugh. twenty twenty one by a draft, by a draft eligible day. redshirt freshman. Yeah, that's right. So Woo. you know we're used to some draft eligible sophomores. Right, Beater is one. Gabe Holt was one, but he'll be a he'll be a draft eligible second year guy. Um, Killian was Caleb Killian was well. one, but he opted. What, to stay. what we're hoping is we can give them we a can get him back. Yeah. yeah. So uh, <laughs> and 
Yes, I yes, definitely hoping that. <laughs> so a lot I want reasons to want him back. I wanted to hop along and uh, and go down. I'm, I'm avoiding pitchers right now. We're talking about sure. the field, and right. uh, we've seen constant work out of Jared Cushing. He's a six two, hundred ninety pound freshman. He's out of Joliet, Illinois, uh, and he was heavily recruited. He picked Tech over TCU, Michigan, Kentucky, West Virginia, Missouri, Purdue, Creighton. I mean, there's a there's a big long list of them, and definitely a guy that's that's come out and played pretty well and uh, has had a lot of work in the field at second base. And, and really, we probably should explain what you end up with in most of these scrimmages are three hitting groups and some guys kind of rolling around in the infield. So yeah. lots of lots of uh, courtesy runners, and, and it's kind of hard to track sometimes. But in the times we've seen them really just kind of go – you know, squad on squad, home right. and away, uh, we've still consistently seen him out there and and uh, and batting well as well. Yep, he's uh, got infield flexibility in the same thing that we've seen out of uh, Jace. Uh, he's not as physical as Jace, and maybe a shade behind him. Th- those some of those other infielders uh, offensively, but uh, we've seen him play three positions and and handle it well. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I like his versatility. I think if somebody was to Go down, unfortunately, you know, he could step right in and we wouldn't lose a beat. Kind of a tall, lanky kid, you know, about 6'2", 190. Yeah. So, so a, a, a little bit of a lanky frame. I really kind of like his game and I hope he, he's not one of those that comes and, and if he ends up, you know, sitting for most of the season or because he's behind somebody that he ends up transferring because I think you know, he has a chance to maybe be somebody right. if he'll just give it some time because, I mean, I hate to say this, but, you know, look ahead to 2021, there's going to be some opportunities for some guys in there in, yep. in that infield. And so I really like his, his play and, and, you know, I would have, you know, I, I, I would feel very comfortable him stepping in any of those second, third, or short if somebody goes down. And, and even if they don't, like like we said, like I've, we've uh, talked about with Gus, there's going to be three or four different lineups, I have a feeling, this first weekend, and it would not surprise me if he's in those as well. Sure. So Cushing number 14, as, as you're watching and seeing these numbers come up, Bo Willis, number 16. The last two we're going to talk about, both catchers. You actually have a depth chart of catchers this year rather than really leaving it heavily in the hands of Braxton Fulford. So Bo Willis, six-foot freshman out of Magnolia, has been you know also a guy that recruited some, not not heavily, heavily recruited, but he, we've seen him catch uh, fairly regularly. He's hit pretty well also. It, it just, in my head, just higher-level view. I'm just glad to have some dudes that can get back there you know, get behind the dish and give some guys some breaks. And it's certainly with the other two you're talking about with Fulford and Rombach, who we'll get to in a minute, guys that could hop in on a day off and still be a DH for you, something like that. It's nice to get them some days off and some rest because I I don't think anybody would argue that just by the end of the season last year, as you get into postseason play, Braxton Fulford was was wore out. And I'm sure, you know, outside of our knowledge of, of how that stuff goes, he had to have some injuries that he dealt with throughout. I mean, all these guys do, but uh, when he's your main work guy – even catching in games, he's off. Even coming in late and having to pick it back up, it's it's nice to have some depth there. I think Romback's going to be, uh, and when you see him, and I think again we reflecting on what we talked about in December, he, he behind the plate resembles a Josh Bard physically, mm-hmm. just yeah. in terms of being that tall, slender kid. Nate's going to be the kind of guy in another year or two that more weight room, more more dining hall and just getting older is going to put on some man strength and be a big physical presence behind the plate. There's a reason why he was drafted. Pretty good hitter. And I'm not just saying that because we've seen him hit some balls into the trees out there, but I think he's got a pretty good approach. I've seen him stay on some breaking balls and do some of those things that sometimes when freshmen who are getting overloaded don't handle that well. It hadn't all been easy for him. Today, I thought behind the plate – uh, he threw a couple guys out at second base and really did so with some polish. 
as that relates to Bo, I would say that Bo's probably the number three catcher. I agree. Bo Willis yep. on this team, but he's a he's a pretty capable number three catcher, and uh, there will probably be some innings for Bo this year, and and maybe even some opportunities to hit as well. Yeah, it's it's amazing how many teams I could go back and look in Texas Tech history, and, and it's like, oh crap, if we had Bo Willis back then, right? You know, yeah, we, you know what? You know, he'd be starting sixty five, seventy games. You know, for, for this team, that that just shows you how much the depth is, and 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 you know, like Gus talked about with Rombach, I mean. Talk, he, he talked about Rombach putting on weight for crying out loud. He's six four two twenty five now. Right. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> right. you know, holy crap! How much how much bigger can he get? Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, that's that's the scary thing. So yeah, I'm you know I I think I like our catching depth. And the thing I like about Bo is he's, is he's played out there in some outfield too. Mm-hmm. And so he, you know he's kind of shown his versatility as well. Uh, yeah. You know to try to get on the field. So yeah, I think this catching group may be the deepest we've been. It's been a, a while. Long, long, it's been a while. Even, and I, I was even thinking about World Series teams. Yeah, right? and I, I'm thinking back. Like there, you know, there's a year where Michael Berglund is is basically your all the time catcher, and guys like Colton Sanchez and others just not able to get in there, you know, regularly, yeah. and you're not comfortable. But here, I think you got two guys for sure, and Bo Willis being the third that you're very comfortable with yeah. with getting back there and and catching some balls and managing and doing what they need to do. Definitely. So then we mentioned him several times. Nate Rombach, six four, two twenty five, out of Mansfield Legacy. Rombach was a guy that he's your only drafted player that did come to campus. The others were not surprises. He was kind of, you know, on a teeter totter, but uh, we, we did hear as early as the series, you know, from some, some folks like, Hey, he wants to play for Texas tech and he's ready to come great relationship with J Bob. That's another one that, that we've heard for, uh, about. And, uh, you know, he does a great job anyway, recruiting these guys, but good relationship there. Dallas Baptist was offered after him. You know how I feel about them. So that says a lot, <laughs> I think too. Um, and I, you know, he didn't have a long list of teams that were chasing him and I think there's two reasons for that you knew he was going to be drafted and some teams just avoid that because you're going to have some attrition and the other side I have pretty good on pretty good authority he came to Texas Tech and said I want to play baseball there there's some ties there he first of all he comes from a big time baseball family his grandpa was a legendary high school baseball coach yeah Bob uh, Bob Rombach was yeah. the uh Second winning as coach in Texas high school baseball history behind Bobby, Bobby Maywood, right? Lovick Monterey and and uh, Coach Rondack. There's something about the name Bob. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. what it is. He he won some state championships at Duncanville in the '70s and just had always had good teams. A lot maybe very similar to Coach Magel in that respect. That even when they weren't state championship caliber good, there was a baseline that was pretty high. Right, I believe they call it a high floor. Uh, he, <laughs> but but then I think. Uh, Nate's father is is involved in scouting as well, and so it's a baseball family. And there was and he he actually played at uh, Texas Wesleyan. There you go. Yeah, and there, it's a baseball family. And and Nate, I think there was some a push to get Nate to uh, to really push him to college and get him into this this experience. The Duncanville connection is J. Bob Thomas played right. for his grandpa, and and so there's there's good bloodlines there, and that may have been the very thing that drew him immediately to you know that he that he was on texas tech as much as tech was on well and we've entered a new era i would say and and been driving towards it for a while in college baseball where you know this is a little bit outside of what we're talking about but you go watch the draft in june and half the players drafted on some rosters are coming out of college ball and you got guys that are more physically capable they've been taken care of they've learned how to be a baseball player and a student athlete they come in more ready to play whereas you come straight out of high school you still got to learn to be a grown-up in the middle of playing you know, a grueling minor league baseball schedule. So I think that major league baseball, and I talked about this with Kendall in the last episode, is start is really starting to see and step up 
to the the positives, and players are seeing that, saying, hey, I go get on campus for two or three years. They're going to grow me up. And you're playing in some great situations, right. great atmospheres, really taken care of as a D1 student athlete, and then that, off you go. You know, and th- this this is another topic for our uh, July-August oh, podcast okay. that we're okay. talking about. But we'll write these there, down. There's re- yeah, exactly. Just something to talk about this summer. Uh, again, something to look forward to. But th- these what we're also seeing is there's a – a dominance. Take the international players out, but the drafted, which is basically the USA and Puerto Rican players, a lot, a big number of, as you said, it's a growing number of college, two-year and four-year college guys getting drafted, but there's also a lot more of those guys. I'm not saying that get to the big leagues and play a, you know, a cup of coffee, but the, the guys who get to six years, they get the big free agent contracts. There's been a predominance of those guys being college guys that are well prepared for that whole yep. game, that mm-hmm. whole six year game. And you start to think about, you know, some of those, some of those guys that have gotten there, gotten there and you start running, yeah, college guy, college guy, college, you know, Longoria and people, you know, Tulowitzki and going back and, and it goes way back farther than that. But, uh, you know, we're about to see Bryant do it. We're, you know, we can go on and on with that, but it's a, uh, the other thing that's happened is there's way more colleges capable of nurturing that kind of talent. Right. Back when I was playing in the late eighties and even before that, there was only a handful of colleges that you could really trust to nurture and develop players at that level and it was arizona state texas usc you know and and uh, now fortunately facilities and conditions and just everything that's going in it players can go there's a lot of places that that high-end talents like nate rombach can go and be nurtured improve themselves get three years perhaps towards a degree and really set themselves up in a way that they're socialized and ready for that, you know, to go to Bluefield, West Virginia, and yeah. play for a summer, and, and right. to, to deal with all the things that come at them. It's it's probably easier to deal with that at twenty twenty one than it is eighteen. Yeah, for sure. Well, and to walk out of a you know a thirty something game high school season and Absolutely. walk into an eighty five game minor league season and and beyond, and you know, in college you're you're much closer in that stair step as far as that too. So just physically and from a mental preparation. Sure. Yeah. Okay, so that's the new guys. I mean, there's there's some guys that we know their names that have been around that have maybe stepped up into a little bit bigger roles, guys like Parker Kelly and TJ Rumfield, but we just covered for you the new fielding guys that, that we've seen a lot out of. So let's talk about opening weekend as far as what we expect to see in the field. And and some of this is just pure speculation, but and some of it's maybe obvious and some of it's maybe not, but to be totally honest – we haven't answered a whole lot of questions, I don't think, from what we did talked about in the fall. And and Coach Tadlock said it kind of tongue in cheek at the tailgate dinner the other night. Gio was on the way to asking him a question, and he just said, "No, I don't know who's starting on Friday." <laughs> you know, and, and and I think that's probably true even right now. You know, just there's there's a lot of questions and lots of things, but it's an embarrassment of riches, not a f- matter of who's actually going to step up because you've seen a lot of guys playing at a high level. Yeah, I think uh, I think there's four to five to possibly six outfielders that could play out there. We've already listed several of the infielders, knowing that Klein's at second. My guess is that, I mean, I I would be a little bit surprised if the name that's not written into the starting lineup at first base every day is Stillwell. I could even see, and I would be tempted to say that about shortstop too, and I I felt that way in December when we recorded it with Conley. However, 
uh, there there have been other guys that have worked through shortstop and done so in a way that wouldn't surprise me one bit to see Jay Young play there, or whatever. But I will say this: I, and Noisy's the one guy, and this is no surprising, but Noisy's the one guy that could show up on that list of five to six outfielders and be one of the infielders. And where he ends up really has a lot to do, as Coach Tadlock likes to say, it's uh, if you can hit, we'll find a place for you to stand. Yeah. And so uh, Noisy's one of the guys that they're probably not overly concerned about offensively he's gonna hit he'll be fine wherever they put him if you're getting big offense out of jace and conley and those guys then noisy can push back to the outfield and then you know carter marshock otrimba all those guys are masters morell baker morell are fighting for those corner spots who knows and then got to be a dh in there somewhere i just i think the one guy that if you if you Held a gun to my head. I think it's going to be Stillwell, be the one guy who's written in all four games this coming weekend at first base, possibly Conley at short, and then everything else is going to have moving parts, man. And on the Klein, back. Klein, I would probably say that about <laughs> Klein at second base as well. But sure. He, he's going to be in the lineup somewhere. somewhere you know. Yeah. Well, and, and if you, and, and that's not to say that TJ Rumfield didn't do right. some pretty good things through this offseason. He's, you know, he's been around. He's a redshirt freshman from Temple, 6'5, 225 was on campus last year. We know who he is. He's also generally playing first base. That's why I bring that up with Stillwell, but maybe a step behind as far as seeing the field and knowing where, you know, exactly where he should be, but also has has hit pretty well and had his moments too, but um and it's nice also to think kind of back to what George said, if somebody has an injury or somebody pulls up right. with a hammy or whatever, you got a lot of these guys that are going to be there, you know, ready to jump in and do what they need to do and and that's always nice. Yeah. Be, being a Dallas Cowboys fan, I listen to the radio broadcast a lot, so I listen to Babe Loffenberg. Uh-huh. And Babe, Babe has a has a famous uh, saying when somebody asks and says, you want me to tell you who's going to win, you have to tell me who's going to play. So <laughs> to me, Dylan Noisy is kind of the domino that, that affects everything. If, if he's at third base, you're going one way. If he's in center field, you're going another way with some guys. So you, you, want, you want me to tell you who's going to be out there on opening day, tell me where Dylan Noisy is yeah, going to play. That's a great and, then, and then I'll fill in the rest of the, the, rest of the lineup here's, from there. Here's a better question. Will we see the same lineup Friday through Sunday? I don't think no. so. Absolutely I don't, not. I, don't, I, I, I agree. Think all four days we will have different – Different names and different for all spots. four games. Yeah, yeah, all four or four games. Yeah, yeah, yeah in three days. And, and, to, no just, and to mention that you've got a doubleheader on Saturday, but a doubleheader against two different teams. Right. And so Texas yeah. Tech will play both of those teams on Saturday rather than going Friday Monday like we've seen before. But I completely agree. And I've had people tweet at me asking who's doing this or who's doing that or or what's it going to look like. And I think you will see a lot of guys moving through. DH is a big question mark as far as who's going to pounce in there, and it may be by committee for a while. Um, and you may be trying some guys out and you may also see, and I, I would not be surprised to see the Parker Kelly, Jace Young swap, the Cal right. Conley somewhere yeah. else, the J, you know, all those kind of things fluidly happening. Uh, it's the beginning of the season. That's you, the point. You just touched on the name that I wanted to get to is Parker Kelly, because we know that this coaching staff has trust in Parker defensively. We know that right. he's played big innings in Omaha, in the Super Regional, in the Regional. We've seen him do all that. And he'll he'll be the kind of guy that's going to get his shot, and if the offense is rolling, then that, again, allows you to do some other things right. with some of these other guys. It creates some opportunities elsewhere, push some guys into the DH competition, you know, push Noisy out to center field, and, and, and Parker's done some good things offensively over these last yeah. couple weekends in a way to think that he'll be in that playing time mix as well. Um, 
Most he's played some at short actually, yeah. but most and, most likely at third. And to unpack Parker Kelly a little bit for those not as familiar, he's a he's a six three, two hundred five pound junior out of Wichita Falls. I'd argue two oh five, maybe a little bit older number. He's that was probably last week, he's last more, year's weight. Yeah, he's yeah. probably more in the two twenty five range. Got some grown and man talk to his mom today. His his mom's around a lot, and if you go to the ballpark, you see her taking pictures a lot. And you know, she kind of called me out. I, I I told Kendall he's no longer built like Angel Hair Pasta, which is one of our favorite string bean pitcher heckles from first base, but. <laughs> Uh, the guy, is, he's a full-grown man right now, and he's, he's one, playing very well defensively, which, as Gus said, they trust him to do. But he has done some nice things at the plate, and he looks like he's just playing with a lot of confidence. He's having a good time. Uh, but he has definitely grown up physically, you know, over this offseason. Yeah, that just adds another piece to it. You know, we talked about it back in, in January. The thing I like about this this opening weekend, these four games, is these are two opponents that they're they're not they're not the high caliber opponents, so that gives you a chance to work in right. a lot of guys and experiment with a lot of things in different lineups and still be able to, to put out a quality, you know, competitive winning type of lineup. So we've talked about Jace Young so much at third base, we forget about Parker Kelly and he's been here for two years and and like you said, he's done some really good things in the right. spring that we've noticed. So there's just another – There's just it's just a wealth of riches sometimes. So last season, opening series against Oregon, you saw a little bit of a push. You had Cole Stillwell in at catch, and uh, you kind of saw, I would argue, Braxton Fulford walk in and say, no, this is my spot, and he hit two dingers in the first game and, and owned it you know, for the rest of the season for, for a large part. Stillwell, and I agree with you, Gus, is, is – basically locking down first base and claiming that uh, for where he wants to be. And so you got Rombach behind Fulford, and I think you probably see both oh, yeah. in this first weekend. And you're certainly going to see them. You know, you need them in the lineup. But uh, I would argue that if you wanted a gun-to-the-head kind of person, you mentioned Brian Klein and Stillwell, and I would say Braxton Fulford as your number one catcher is – there's no doubt. He hit two ninety eight last season. Defensively, he's he's been strong and getting stronger. And uh, he's hit – I mean – Going all the way back to his freshman year, he's had some big hits and some big situations, and you know his bat looks better than it ever has here through the spring. No I would doubt. say. I just think that he's a. Uh, that there's more opportunity. There's going to be more opportunity to rest him and cycle guys through because you know we we talked about this first weekend. If you basically start the college baseball week on Friday at noon and run it until the following Friday. Tech obviously four games this first weekend, and then five games yeah. in the next four or five weekends. And so it, you know, there's going to be a ton of opportunities yeah. to get guys playing time. I mean, we all know he's capable of doing the three game weekends, right? Uh, if there's some separation there defensively, or he's doing some things offensively, then him him catching three games in a weekend is not a big deal. But there's also going to be opportunities to play these other guys and have capable jobs done behind the plate. I wouldn't be at all surprised to see Nate Romback start one game on Saturday and Bo to start the other game, to be yeah, honest with sure. you. And Braxton maybe catch Friday, Sunday. And yeah. those other guys are in the DH mix and all. I, I just I'm I'm so I'm so intrigued to see how this is gonna play yeah. out. And not to just sit here and list names, but the guys that we haven't had a chance to touch on, Drew Baker is no. a guy that saw plenty of all over the place last season, early starting shortstop for you until there were some swaps made, sophomore from Tomball. Uh, I would say Baker looks a little bit more grown up, you know. I mean, he was a thick-bodied athlete before, and I think that that's a little more muscle, a little less kid size, but uh, that's a guy. And then Kurt Wilson, another one that you've seen plenty of and, and throughout the spring, and, you know, is he going to be more of a pitcher? He, he was your starting pitcher when you played the Rangers Futures in the first game, so – Another guy that you know, two more that can be in the mix in any any number of places. Yeah, I would tell you that I, it sure feels like Drew 
is uh, being groomed in the outfield. You know, that we've seen less and less infield from him, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, certainly, certainly from this time last year to now. Um, and then, uh, and, and Kurt Wilson, I think, is a guy that they feel like they can, uh, they need to push the Kurt Wilson button again in the outfield. They can, but what he's done is taken a regular turn on the mound. He threw two good innings on Friday, in fact. Right. Uh, and that's, that's the, that's the key thing. And I think that's where they're pushing him. And, and you've got a guy that, that gave you some key innings that we haven't even mentioned, hit a big home run in Omaha and Easton Morrell. Yep. Yeah. No you know, no doubt. That just shows you what, you know, what we've got to work. And Another we saw guy a lot that's of, being groomed more for the outfield, outfield it, yes. it appears. And I'm yes. sure part of that thinking is, well, we can get him back to third if we need to, but he hadn't done, we haven't seen, Morrell and and Drew do much third base at all, much infield at all this in this January February stint, and so uh, it tells you those guys are there, you know, probably being groomed for outfield roles and uh, DH. Yeah, everybody's a DH. Everybody, yeah, everybody's everybody's a candidate for that. Someone for that. (laughs) Yeah. So, well, you talked about plenty of opportunities with all of those games coming up. So that certainly leads us into opportunities on the mound from a starting pitching standpoint. We've seen a ton of guys. I would say, and I don't want to roll just through the new ones, but some guys that names you may know, kind of the top in my the list in my head is Mason Montgomery. Came in as a freshman last year at Leander, six two one eighty five, left handed pitcher highly heralded coming in got some early stuff and then didn't have as many opportunities later and and we've seen some good things out of him here early yeah faded with his command i thought down the stretch and just sort of faded into you know being being a freshman by the end last year and really just really was walking too many guys you know almost a free pass per inning this fall and certainly this early springtime he's been outstanding and he's been you know the other day he was one of the guys that threw four innings on friday and it was four zeros yeah and uh All the things that you would want to see out of a good Mason Montgomery outing, a lot of balls on the ground, a couple of double play balls, a lot of strikes. You know, he was pitching at 90, 90, 91, bumped a couple of 92s, I thought, just on the stadium radar gun. And he was, uh, and he was throwing it by some guys, which tells you that the pitches are being set up. Uh, you know, the arm action's good. I mean, he, he was throwing it by guys in fastball counts. And so there's some life on it. And uh, there's just every reason to be excited about where Mason is. And I'll be honest, I don't know exactly where that is because, yeah. you know, Micah Dallas, Bonin, you know, the, the, the other one that's been getting a bunch of innings who's been a pleasant surprise this spring is Dobbins. I was just about to yeah. bring yeah. up Dobbins. And the, the, just, let me some, hop into him real quick. Sure. 6'2", 185, right-hander. He's out of Bryan. And yep. you saw him start in the midweeks last year. Saw him a little bit on weekends here and there. Uh, he's a redheaded guy, if you don't uh, if you don't remember Hunter Dobbins, but he's been uh, he's gotten a ton of work, and he's been batting too. Right, yeah, we saw him a little bit early on, yeah. 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 Uh, and he did it. He had a really good two way summer last year, but we haven't seen much offense out of him, I guess, over the last couple of weeks. But we've seen him go two innings the first week, three, then four, and so he's sort of being carrying the workload of what you would see from some of these other guys that we feel like are going to be starters, Montgomery, Dallas, Bond, and those guys. And so it, he, he too, is another one. Would not be one bit surprised to see him take a starting role next weekend. Well, and, and yesterday, as you said, Dobbins went four full innings. They were scoreless, and, and he combined. Let's talk about his partner, and that is a new guy people are going to be curious about. He partnered in with Austin Becker, who's your transfer out of Vanderbilt. Becker, 6'5", 205-pound sophomore. He's another Ohio guy, but as I said, came here via transfer. 
So Becker started in in that scrimmage, and then Dobbins came in behind him. It was it was one run baseball, you know, between the two of them, and and really nice outings from both sides. And Becker and and Gus, you you give the report on him, but uh, he's throwing with a lot of confidence yesterday, is what we saw. Yeah, and uh, that's a three pitch mix that's really good. There's some easy 93s and 94s that we saw from him down the stretch in the fall and just an outstanding changeup and a really good breaking ball. There's been every once in a while there'll be some of these veteran hitters that'll come over when we're sitting here and fall ball over there by the on deck circle in first base. You go, hey, you know, hey, tell me about him or was his breaking ball better than his changeup and just everything, which I'm just trying to gather the information to help me in the broadcast. Sure. And, uh, and when with Becker, it's kind of you could see the changeup working really well, and then the next guy will go, "Yeah, the breaking ball's better than changeup," and then you go, "Okay, that's why that's why it uh, it's been coming pretty easy for him. He's a little bit of a short strider for a dude that's long and rangy as he right. is, six five. It looks kind of six five, six six. He's almost got like a Jarrett Culver body, which is an odd comp, but just <laughs> kind of that's what Jarrett Culver would look like as yeah. a pitcher, but. Uh, the dude's got a real three pitch mix. He can pitch comfortably around ninety three miles an hour, and and uh, the changeup will work off of the lefties. You'll see some swing and miss to right handers with the change, and the breaking ball can be nasty. Baker's kind of followed the Bryce Bonham path. He didn't pitch yeah. in the fall. They were trying to get him, you know, strengthened up and everything like that. And then then he he's come out and he's pitched really well in the spring. Like Gus said, when we talked about all the position players, you you could have five different lineups for those five game weekends. You're going to need five starting pitchers. Yeah. So he's definitely no he's definitely in the mix. He's one of those that that to me, you know, you're sitting next to a guy and you, and you see him throw 96 with ease, and then he comes back at you know like. 86 with a breaking ball and he's one of those guys that makes you look at the guy next to you and go did i just see that oh yeah you know he's he's the guy that gets you excited with stuff like that so you know between between dallas and bonin becker dobbins mason montgomery you know what an x-factor that kid could be on a weekend uh on a sunday those five right now maybe are your five contenders for those starting spots, but that by no well, there's means a six, means there's a six. We by, probably that by no in. means means they're, that, that sure. they're alone in there. And I think the 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 pitching comp here is where's John McMillan? He's yeah, like, yes, he's, that's like where I was he's like going. Dylan Noisy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where where is he going to fit in? Who knows? But wherever it is, it's going to be in, in a big role. Yeah, going to be in an important role. Just will he be will he be starting? And uh, you know that drama will get probably decided this week, I right? Mean, that, you know, and, Tim, well, and, Tim and, will announce starting pitchers. And, and I'll and, say with the oh, go ahead, George. And, well, and one of the things I like in in that that could affect you know where John is is that you've had a couple of veteran guys in Sublette and Beater mm-hmm. take steps up to be those kind of juniors that you need out of the bullpen that can either yeah. come in and, and shut the door or can come in and give you three or four innings. Right. And and don't forget on Sublette. I want to get back to McMillan, but don't forget on Sublette. When we saw an early outing last season where all of a sudden Ryan Sublette comes out of the bullpen and he starts blasting 98-99 and yeah. it just kind of blowing us all away. And, and the stuff wasn't always there. you know, The command wasn't always there all season. But him taking a step up and then having a, a weapon like Beater, that's a, those are really powerful arms coming out late in games out of the bullpen. But to go to McMillan, we're not covering up anything with, with him. I mean, he's right. had some really good innings, yeah. and then he's had some struggle innings, which every pitcher has. But overall – I think you're seeing him come out with a senior season that he really wants to do well. He's obviously taken a leadership role in the team. It was he and Brian Klein that yeah. brought their comedy tour to the tailgate dinner, and they did a, a fantastic yeah, job. Did. But he had a great perspective and mindset about him being there as a senior, which they both are, why he's there, and what his role can be for the team and for the pitching staff. And so 
I would be really surprised if he doesn't get a look that first weekend and then have an opportunity to continue to grow. And, and he's just very much in the mindset of perfect your craft. He, he said those words at the dinner, and I think that he's a guy he, – we've seen him kind of settle himself in in the 93 – range you know he's not out there trying to throw triple digits in in a scrimmage and but then bringing in his change up and dropping it on people and just uh and destroying and so he's had some uh, some really great moments yeah i'm not you know i i don't proclaim to be the technical expert that gus is obviously yeah having, me neither him having played and, and stuff like that but you know when it comes to john the, the thing with me is i look at it, it's like he hasn't really you know when he's been given opportunities to start he he's kind of struggled sure but when he's been at the back end of the game, he's been such a valuable weapon to come in and, and get outs for you in, in key situations because because there's such a vast difference in his fastball and his breaking ball right. that screws up hitters. So I'm not saying that John can't go out and be a starter, and if he can, by all means, prove me wrong. I would love to see it. I just think he's such a valuable weapon at the back end. I don't know that him starting is that big of a need, I guess, you know, I, I think he's I think he's eaten a bunch of innings this year, and uh, and I'm with you. I'm not necessarily certain. wouldn't Wouldn't be surprised at all to see him get starts early this year. But I think in the end, we're going to see a bunch of innings out of that dude. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I 100 percent agree. So other other names on that list, and certainly a couple newcomers we need to talk about. You got two California right-handers that we can bring up, but first I want to talk about Brustowski and what we've seen out of him, Gus. I mean. Came in, also another heralded guy. He's been around a couple spots before he got here. He's a junior out of Green, Ohio. He was at Sinclair Community College. He's a 6'2", 240-pound lefty. And we heard coming in that he was bumping 97, 98 from the left side, and, and I think he's delivered on the on yeah. the power. I think in, in December when we recorded, you know, my comp for him was a slightly larger version of Parker Mashinsky, and I would stay with that. I think he's slightly bigger, just taller, bigger frame, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit heavier. Heavier, a little bit taller, a little bit bigger than Parker, but and and a kind of a two pitch power mix. You know, it's a, it's a hard breaking ball and him trying to let it eat, man, with the fastball. I think uh, fans are going to like watching him. I think he's going to be a short burst reliever. Not necessarily mean short burst like one inning. I mean, he may be a two and three inning guy. We've seen him work a couple weekends of two innings just in the inner squads over the last couple of weeks. But uh, I think he's, uh, you know, he, he's going to be a classic two-pitch reliever and trying to really, really grind it and throw hard. I think fans are going to really like watching that yeah. dude pitch. And, gonna, and he's a Brew draft. is going to have Oh, yeah. 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 And he, he's going to be a draft guy this year. And, and he, he could very well be our one-and-done Juco, Juco reliever. Uh, you know, in fact – to that end, he's popped up on the Baseball America 2020 Big 12 draft list. Yeah. Not not as necessarily a super high pick, but just someone who's who's going to be perhaps a lot like Tyler uh, Taylor Floyd that's going to be one and done, and some of those other guys right. that we've had come through. So a couple of guys, seniors that we've had around uh, the program for a while. Connor Queen is a senior this year, 6'1", 210 out of Bernie. He's currently growing back the massive beard and the mop. He came in a cowboy hat to the uh, – to the tailgate dinner, as did Stillwell. I was joking at the table. I, I think they're wearing spurs, and then Tadlock did not let them get away un, <laughs> untarnished in his in his comedy routine. But uh, Connor Queen has seen has seen some work in the in the spring here in the inner squads, and then uh, the other side of that, Ryan Cassie is another bullpen guy that you'll have out. That's also a senior on the team. Originally out of Austin McNeil, played at Temple College. Both guys that have been around Queen, obviously a little bit more work last year, but Cassie may be a guy that can uh, that can grab himself a few more innings this year too. Yep. 
Casilla, left-hander, throws a ton of strikes. And, uh, you know, Queen last year had a little hand injury or a little something in the middle of the season. When he came back, yeah, yeah, when he came back after missing maybe three or four weeks, I thought his velo had kind of ticked up just in terms of the way I sit there like a lot of fans and just notice what you see up on on the stadium gun. And I thought his stuff had ticked up a little bit. Which may have been very well just due to getting three or four weeks of downtime, yeah. you know that right. that and and he he's pitched some key innings. He's sort of an unflappable kid. And I probably say the same thing about Cassie, where they may not have the dominant high draft pick kind of stuff. They're just two kids that are that are you know have gone through the the, the college baseball grind and know what they're getting into and uh, throw strikes and just you know give well, it a chance. And when and that's a that's a compliment. That's a reliability yeah, factor. When a absolutely. guy comes in and you say he throws a lot of strikes, I mean that's a that's Big a deal. reliability that sure. you need you yeah. know to come in and, and finish some things out or eat up a couple innings when you need it or yeah. whatever. Yeah, with Queen, I think going into even last year, the coaches were high on him and, and and what they thought he could bring to the table. And then, like you said, he was out for three or four weeks with a hand injury, came back and he was and he he pitched some big innings. Uh, you know, down the stretch, you know, the the thing I like about Queen is I, I like his versatility in that he seems to me like he can be like the setup guy, the eighth inning bridge guy, or he can be the guy that kind of comes in with two on and nobody out and either gets you out of it or limits the damage. I think I think he's sure. got that kind of confidence and that kind of stuff to be able to come in in any situation and and get the job done. Connor Queen needs needs a iconic mm-hmm. uh, entrance music. Because his run from the bullpen is is fantastic. I mean, he's full sprint, chest yep. out, all the way to the mound. Well, I can, love can it. we get Billy Ocean to maybe come in and dub something? <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> there you go. Uh, you well know, convert played. some Caribbean Queen into some oh, Connor Queen. Oh, yeah. Nice. Okay. Yeah. okay. I'm sorry, my 80s are showing. Yeah, now. that's right. Quiet. Let yeah. me put them back in my yeah. pocket. Remember, he's the guy that my 80s about, were in elementary school. <laughs> talk about talk about antenna TV <laughs> over there, <laughs> three channels like he and I. That's uh, true. Yeah. No, I, I think Connor's also been a guy that. You know, the coaching staff over the years has um, – there's some guys that it it seems like they feel more comfortable with who do I bring in with runners on first and second and one out versus who do I give whole innings to. And Connor's always been a guy that they've been comfortable with uh, with the the mid-inning jams. Maybe we can go queen. We can go a little killer queen. Oh, yeah. Nice. Okay. Uh, that seemed like the low-hanging fruit yeah. that you passed My, my right early up 80s are showing yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, Connor's not going to let us pick a song. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> if, uh, yeah. We can just stand out there like John Cryer or, or in, in uh, Say Anything right. with the boombox. There you go. <laughs> okay, so so you've had two California right-handers come in. Andrew Devine, 5'10", 155-pounder, out of Simi Valley, California, and then also Steven Vasquez, 6'165", pound, out of Upland, California, both freshmen that have come in for you. Yep, two freshmen, California right-handers. Devine, I think, has pitched at a slightly higher level, uh, really pitched well off of his changeup the other day. You know, I was impressed by his stuff the other day in a way, and he's a smallish Smallest right-hander. Maybe uh, my comp for him has been Duggar the whole time. Of course, he wears his pants high like Duggar, and that's part of it. But a smallish Wait, college Duggar? Because yeah, pro, no, no, pro Duggar has a grown Duggar. man yeah. lower no, body right. now. Yeah, you can tell. Yeah. Grown grown man pro ball Duggar's getting ready for 162 games Yeah, now. that's but, right. Yeah. No, it, it definitely college Duggar. Kind of a smallish right-hander. And in a sense, maybe even small like Queso, but not an electric arm like Queso, Jose Quesada, right. a couple years ago. Different, different kind of a pitcher than that uh probably not as powerful a build as what queso had but divine can pitch it would have been it's interesting because you could see where a smallish right-hander like him that's pitching at 90 91 miles an hour 
would be overlooked certainly by the draft and things like that but I think he's got I think he's got some polish and some finish to him that if he, if he throws enough strikes and kind of handles all the freshman stuff well he he could have a chance to carry some important innings comes over the top doesn't he yeah yeah and Vasquez is, is not a whole lot different, a little bit taller, a little more slender. I think a little more breaking ball, a little less change up from him. But, did, you know, and he actually pitched today and struggled a little bit. But I think, uh, you know, there, there's good things to see in both of those guys. It just feels like divine in the coach's eyes in terms of the way he's been slotted in some of these inner squads as someone that they expect to carry maybe a little bit bigger load. Right. Well, and we could talk all day about these guys. Yeah, I mean, no, there's yeah, a ton no of them. You, and and I, I don't want to sit here and belabor them. And so there's several more that we haven't mentioned. Eli Reekman yep. is one of them that's seen quite a bit of work. They like him. He's a 5'11", 185-pound lefty out of Houston Memorial. He was at Blinn last year. Do you have anything about him, no, Gus? Juco guy. And yeah. Three interesting guys are two, two breaking balls. You'll see him use a, a slider and then kind of more of a downer curve ball. And so a lot of people will say, yeah, I throw slider on a curve. And yeah, but when it really comes down to it, they're, one is a better pitch than the other. Eli has flashed the very good breaking balls to both of, from both of those. And uh, Eli's also carried some three inning loads in some of these inner squads. Yes. And so that's not to say that they're going to use him as a starter necessarily, but I think he's going to be a multi-inning yeah. guy. I think yeah. they're slotting him for that. And he, and he sort of pitches that way. Cause he, he can, you know, there's, he's definitely not just got to come in and face two lefties and get out. I think he can pitch and get outs. And, uh, he, he's, a, he's an interesting guy. Cause when I'm out there in fall ball, I'll pick up on this stuff. You wouldn't hear it in the game, but he's kind of a grunter. He's not a hard thrower, but he'll grunt, <laughs> yeah. you know, and get behind it. John McMillan's a grunter. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And John, you know, John grunts and you look up there and you're wanting to see a 97. Eli's not going to be that, yeah. but Eli's usually locked in and, uh, you know, I, I don't know much about him, but he's, uh, I just think he's going to get, I think he's going to get a chance to pitch a bunch early. Yeah. Well. Uh, some other guys, and we won't go too much into them, but Derek Bridges, a guy, to, yep. a freshman out of Duncan, Oklahoma. I've seen a little bit of him from the left side. And then the right side, the only side armor that we've seen, he's a, a junior from Wills Point, Texas. He went to Richland College, is Riley Ramsey. He's a 6'4", 205 guy. He's tall. And well, one thing we did see out of him today, and he did field a ball. He fielded a bunt down the third base line and sidearmed that baby over there, and he put some zip on it. But <laughs> um, some guys that you've seen here in, in short inning uh, kind of stuff throughout the – January, February stuff. John Barrera, another one of those. He's a 5'9 lefty from uh, Corpus Christi. One more, Tyler Hamilton. He's a 6'1", 195-pound out of, out of Dallas Parish. But the one other one I did want to talk about was Brandon Hendricks. Saw a fair amount of him getting some work, and he's a six-foot right-hander out of Big Sandy. And, and uh, his brother, Ryan, was drafted after three years at uh, Texas A&M. He was taken in the fifth round in 2013 by the Reds. So we know there's a little bit more pedigree with him, and he's seen a fair amount of work through the spring, too. Well, and he's got another brother, Austin, that was at A&M for a year, now at San Jacinto, that will be here next year. Okay, there yeah. you go. And and uh, Hendricks maybe has the best arm out of all of these freshman arms. A little more of a physical build at this point. There's he's had really good flashes. He didn't pitch much in the fall. In fact, yeah. we only saw him face hitters. I don't think we saw him face hitters. Becker only did it once or twice. So we're all getting our first looks at him, and he's had some kind of freshman type scrimmages where his command has been spotty and stuff. But you can see the the stuff is really good, and for him, it'll just be handling the handling the freshman stuff and calming his heart rate, as Tim likes to say. And uh, you know, he's he, going he's, to the next pitch. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's got a chance to be pretty good. And this is a guy that that in talking to J Bob when I did have a chance to do that, he was very high on yep. him, no and doubt. also very 
excited to have gotten him because you want to become a fan favorite at Texas Tech, choose Tech over the other in-state schools. And <laughs> no, no. he was heavily recruited by Texas, TCU, and A&M, and that decided to come to love him. And there's probably more on this, but Dylan Carter was another one like that. Dylan yeah. Carter, as you can imagine, being one of the best players out of the Metroplex he he was recruited by everybody and chose tech. So right, yeah. The the thing the thing for me about kind of taking a thirty thousand foot view of this pitching staff from what I've seen in the spring is there there's not been anybody I've seen that you're think, sitting there thinking what is he doing here? Right, right. You, you yeah. know, every, everybody has been good enough at you know at least at some point to make this team, and that's why they're here, to pitch in the Big 12, to be a, a pitcher on a team that is ranked in the top five nationally. So that that's the thing that I like is is just the overall depth that they've been able to bring in, and there hasn't been that, that guy that, that you're thinking, oh, he's not going to be here long. All these guys are, are making their case to deserve a spot on this roster, that's for sure. There, there's, there's not a lot of guys that are – that you wouldn't say that that guy's not a Division One pitcher, yeah. right? And and there are guys that will be gone oh, eventually, sure, sure. and and that's just that's just the the nature of the beast of college baseball. And I know some you know fans that remember last year you had a Lubbock Cooper pitcher and Trey Garlett, and he's moved on to Navarro College, I believe. I think it's Howard. Oh, he went to Howard. Thank right you. Up. Yes. So Trey Garlett went to Howard, but then a lot of times what happens with those kind of situations, you see guys come back, they have a chance to go develop or maybe get grades right, whatever it may be. I don't know his situation. I'm just examples and just get and then they, more playing time yeah, and just yeah, more developmental exactly. opportunities and then you come no back around and the relationships are there and you know you fit in the system and the personality no but on that vein this roster right now as it sits is at 37 and you got to be at 35 here pretty quick so there's going to be a couple of these guys that will be headed elsewhere and and maybe more you know in the future who knows but uh, we wanted to give you an overview because what if there's one overarching thing when when coach Tadlock or anybody really talks about this team it's the words we could talk about pitchers forever, yep. and so you feel like there's this kind of big group of talent, but we haven't. We've just now started to get to see what they're doing, and you know, some of them may be in the mix to start, and some may be in the in the mix for a lot of innings, and some may be moving on, and so we're just trying to see kind of where everybody's going to fall. I can tell you this: our our hitters are going to be are going to be ready to face velocity because yeah. after pitching this, after facing these pitchers, I mean, there's not there's not a lot of soft throwers on this staff, right? <laughs> I mean, just a dom. The dominant theme with this group is that there is a bunch of really good arms. Tim Tim talked about the other day at the tailgate dinner. You know, the uh, who, who's got pitch ability and can slow their heart rate and throw strikes and do all those things. But boy, you just the, the, this is a bunch of hard throwing dudes. There's there's uh, a lot of coaches around the country that would like to be picking from this list. The key Absolutely. word is power arms. Yeah, no yeah. doubt. No yeah. doubt. Well, and and I think I've told you guys before. One of my favorite, you know, moments sitting at first base and heckling as we do is the 2017 regional, and we had a lot of fun with the uh, with the first base coach from Sam Houston State. And at one point, we called him the wrong name all weekend and all kinds of stuff. But he turned around and he, as we brought in, you know, somebody else, and he says, "Do, do all your guys throw?" 95 and they they actually just brought in McMillan and he was warming up and that's back when he still warmed up behind the mound yeah. you know and we said this guy throws 100 you know and so uh, we get we need to always remember as tech fans to not get you know complacent or or uh, entitled in the in the fact that you've got a bunch of really good power arms and some guys that are doing some Definitely. really good stuff that no, and no. any college would love it but I, I guess the the one thing I want to mention that's gone on over the last couple of weeks and it's a little bit outside of baseball is if you want to see 
But if you love Tim Tadlock, which I bet you do if you're a Tech baseball fan, and if you're not, why are you listening to Dinger Derby? <laughs> um, go to Texas Tech TV. I'm going to assume it's up there. They live streamed the tailgate dinner, and Tim Tadlock was in rare form that night. Yep. He, he basically just took the mic away from Gio and, and went off on every tangent and rabbit trail. At one point, he even looked at Gio and said, I forgot the question, and, <laughs> as he'd made his way through multiple metaphors to answer a question he didn't remember. So uh, if you can go find that one, find the live stream and watch the video, it, it is worth your time. I thought it was like open mic night at Chuckles. Oh, it was you know, amazing. The way, the, way he was, the way he was up there. Yeah, well, it, was, it was amazing. I don't know how to wrap it up, guys. I mean, we've had the fortunate opportunity to watch a ton of inter-squad baseball so far, gotten to know some of these guys a little bit as far as on the field and a little bit of personality. And I mean, I think you're going to have a weekend of really trying to feel out who's doing what and what the team's going to be against, like George said, and it's true, a little bit lesser competition, but of course can't sleep on anybody. But it's going to be the beginning of a long and and hopefully very successful season for the Red Raiders, and I know we're all looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, you think about where we'll be – Certainly next week, but two weeks from now, we'll be wrapping up a ball game against the University of Houston and games against Tennessee, Stanford, and the University of Houston. And uh, you know, at that point, we'll be in uh, you know in baseball bliss. But uh, the the (laughs) those three games are obviously going to be big tests. First time to get everybody away from home. First time to face big high end competition. And I know we're not we're not doing a bunch of preview stuff, but Tennessee's best pitcher, their Friday guy, is. is is a top 10 top 20 guy in the whole draft yeah. uh, of course the pitching coach at tennessee now frank right. anderson right. our very own pitching coach here at texas tech in the 90s and so it'll be fun to see frank and uh it's just it'll be fun to match up with those brand names three days in a row tennessee stanford and houston i think tech baseball is used to this yep. at this point no and, and i think tech basketball has learned this lesson certainly in the first half of this season you're going to get everybody's best shot yep. and you know you were you were last four standing last year you've been to omaha four times in six years you are um, definitely near the top of the heap as far as the college baseball world and you know writing your name into the to that blue blood kind of conversation from the baseball side of things year in and year out it's the conversation of is this the year to go win the big one and you know when you're facing anybody top you know best worst whatever it is we've talked about regionals you know i don't know who they are or what their name is or what conference they play in but i guarantee you they got one guy they got a friday starter that they're going to throw at you you know oh, and, yeah. and yeah. then when you take and I talked about Tadlock and what he said at, at Kegels the other night. All of his silly metaphors and all of his stuff, the message was, we want to play the best. Yep. You know, whatever it is. If I And he said, if I was a surfer, I want to yep. find the biggest wave. Yep. And that's what you're going to get <laughs> when you get to Round Rock and, and all the way down the line. You're going to, you're going to put yourself in those situations. But it's a program now that's ready for those shots, that's looking for those Should opportunities to, to prove themselves. You're not in a rebuild. It's continually that reload. Yep. mentality yeah, it, yeah it's a it's a deal you're not the novelty anymore yep. you're, right. You're, you're the one with the target on your back and and the you know the top five ranking and the fact that the next team in the big 12 is like 10 15 spots down right shows shows you how, how big a target you are so you know these guys are going to have to be ready to go every every single day whether it is houston baptist or tennessee or rice or mississippi state or you know oregon whoever minnesota minnesota's going to throw a team usa guy at us you know, yeah, so yeah. it's uh, so we you know we're gonna have to be ready. I say we. I'm, I'm doing it. Sure. <laughs> Tech is gonna have to be ready. You know, every single time they step on the field, and or else you know, or else they're they're gonna wind up on the wrong end. So you know, it's it's a it's an exciting time. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I know. I know this this is going to be the slowest week in history. <laughs> yeah. this, this coming week, I think you know, we got a basketball game to bridge yeah, the gap. Exactly. There you go. That'll help. 
Well, did you have anything else, Gus? No, I, I'm just you were touching on the Team USA deal and three pretty good chance, depending on how Florida State sets their deal. If they throw uh, their best guy on Friday, he won't face us. If yeah. they save him for Saturday, but decent chance that we face three top thirty top whatever arms in the country in our non conference schedule in in uh you know Tennessee, Florida State and Minnesota. And I mean, you know, and and that's there there you go. That's Tim Tadlock talking about the biggest wave. The biggest wave. Yeah, those those right. are the waves right there. Well and, and you talk about it all the time and you know, Omaha is the standard and, and that kind of stuff. And he set that from his first press conference. He really did. I played it on the podcast before, you know, that little that that opening press conference and then the Omaha yeah. press conference. But I noticed this this week. I tweeted it out this morning. I ran through the autograph line and got a poster done at the basketball game, and I didn't notice it that night. I got down, talked to Coach Tadlock real briefly. The national anthem came on. We all did that. I grabbed my poster and went to my seats with my friend. I moved that thing from my pickup to the house this morning, and I looked down, and I noticed Tim Tadlock was signing those posters over Omaha. The week of Omaha on the schedule, (laughs) he was signing it over first weekend, last weekend of Omaha. That's where every one of them. That's where you know all these players are signing on their picture. He signed it on Omaha, and I like. I know the mentality is there. You know, that's a little silly thing that I'm drawing something out of, but you know, the mentality is there that this is what we're here for. You know, we're not here to play around, and we put in all this work to do it. Yeah, and some of these, some of these teams, and some of these rosters are going to be built better for it than others. But uh, I think it's pretty safe to say that there's an expectation of competing for big 12 championships and you know and and competing for national championships there's no doubt that that's the target absolutely well boys thank you so much thank you for your for the time you've put into watching these guys and and then for sharing it with us and i appreciate you having you and looking forward to all that's coming and gus looking forward to you on broadcasts and and just getting this thing rolling because the time is here but we will uh we'll see you guys around the ballpark and that's going to happen next friday opening day valentine's don't forget it's valentine's day buy your <laughs> buy your sweetheart a, a a ticket to texas tech versus houston baptist and go to the ballpark luckily mine yeah. sits next to me yeah so, that's yeah, perfect I'm, I'm, I'm you bought her half, tickets you're yeah. halfway there i'm yeah. halfway there yeah, you yeah. got you got to figure it out hey we'll see y'all around the ballpark we appreciate your time thank you for supporting dinger derby follow us on twitter at dinger underscore derby you can follow me at Keith B. Patrick. Follow Gus at Gus26, George at TTU Jorge, yep. uh, all on Twitter, and uh, we'll bring you a little extra baseball stuff there as well. But until we see you around the ballpark, y'all have a fun one. Be good. Enjoy this week leading up to the best time of the year. And until then, wreck them. Thanks for tuning in to Dinger Derby and sharing our love for Texas Tech Red Raider baseball. You can connect with Keith on Twitter at Dinger underscore Derby and find more Texas Tech sports content at stakingtheplains.com. Help us out by rating us and leaving a review on iTunes. And remember to tell your friends about the show. Keith will be back next week with another episode of Dinger Derby. And until then, wreck of tech. Keep your hand on your gun. Don't you trust anyone There's just one kind of man that you can trust That's a dead man or a gringo like me Be the first one to fire Every man is a liar There's just one kind of man who tells the truth That's a dead man or a gringo like me